If you enjoy music's greatest mysteries, you're going to love Dan Rather's The Big Interview. That guy really digs into the truth. Check out his podcast sometime. Music moves us, motivates us, and especially mystifies us. Providing drama not only from its notes, but from the note makers who play them. Music's Greatest Mysteries explores the wild lives and legends of our favorite artists. On this episode, we investigate the relationship between the Beach Boys and Charles Manson. Did the band's Dennis Wilson get too close to the cult leader, resulting in his sinister crimes? We'll also examine the supernatural and bizarre curse of Post Malone. And finally, how the same terrible twist of fate may have saved the lives of two of country music's most beloved stars. of a horror movie, five people, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Hollywood director Roman Polanski. Imagine a world of peace and love interrupted by one of the most sinister crimes in modern history. Miss Tate, who was pregnant, was found with a rope around her neck attached to another body. Now imagine one of music's biggest stars' strange and sudden involvement with the perpetrator of this horrific scene. This is the story of the Beach Boys' Dennis Wilson and his relationship with Charles Manson. In the mid-60s, the Beach Boys were revered. They were at the height of their fame, like the Beatles. The Beach Boys were a central figure in Los Angeles at this point. They were homegrown. They were one of the two biggest bands in the world. They were known for surf music, songs about cars. They were enjoying having a lot of money, having a lot of women, and living it up there in Hollywood. The Beach Boys were composed of uh, three brothers, Brian Wilson, the genius musician, and Carl, who sang, and Dennis played drums. There was only one beach boy that ever surfed, and that was Dennis Wilson. He was the most handsome one, the most outgoing one, and uh, the wildest one by all accounts. Dennis was like the free spirit of the Beach Boys, kind of the opposite of Brian Wilson in a lot of ways. He was kind of the, the cool, you know, guy who wanted to party and do drugs and hang out with chicks and try new things. Dennis was sort of living in the shadow of Brian in a lot of ways, you know, from a the creative standpoint. I think he had an itch to prove himself, and this insane person entered his sphere and changed his life. In 1968, during the summer of love, Dennis Wilson is loving the life of a rock star. That is, until he happens upon a pair of hitchhikers. They tell him about their gang and their leader, a man named Charlie. They mentioned they were part of this, this group. It seemed like a group of hippies that were just, uh, you know, talking about free love. And Dennis had come on over, and uh, they essentially moved in, including Charles Manson and most of the girls. Manson could see Wilson as this sort of fun-loving guy, so he played to that part of Wilson, you know, offering up girls, drugs, and before he knew it, Charlie Manson and the Manson girls were living in his house. 
But unbeknownst to Dennis, Charlie is much more than a party boy. Manson desperately wanted to get into the rock and roll business. He attached himself to the right people. This is a powerful family with a lot of connections. Manson knew how to get his hooks into these people. Dennis is not only flattered, he's intrigued. He recognizes a kindred spirit in Manson, someone who shares his zest for the high life. And just like the Manson family, Dennis becomes mesmerized by Charlie's wild charisma. For whatever reason, Dennis thought Charles Manson was the wizard. Why would you think that Dennis Wilson was any less susceptible to Charles Manson? He was very manipulative, very good at it. He portrayed the love and peace thing, but I'm sure they was just taking him for a ride. He convinced Dennis that, hey, man, I am the future. And Dennis bought in. Eventually, the Manson family wears out their welcome. But before they leave the Wilson home, Dennis gives the group $100,000. He also agrees to include one of Manson's songs on the Beach Boys' new album. But is this friendship or fear? Mike Love said that Dennis Wilson saw Manson kill someone. And there's the story that Manson came up to Dennis and showed him a bullet and basically threatened his family. Dennis Wilson has Charlie Manson and some of the Manson family living in his house. He can't get them out. He's scared of them. So possibly he sort of recorded that song to get him off his back. Regardless of why, the Beach Boys cut a Manson tune in September 1968. Charles Manson actually recorded a lot of what now would be called like freak folk or uh, acid folk songs back in the 60s. And Cease to Exist was one that actually has a melody and sounds like a real song. Cease to exist. Just come and say you love me. They deconstructed it, they took it apart, they changed the lyrics, they took apart the framework of the whole song and reworked it into a song called Never Learn Not to Love. Never had a lesson I ever learned And I know I could never learn not to love you The end result is not anything special. It's certainly not a standout in the Beach Boys catalog. I have no doubt that Dennis was freaked out, but there's also this weird, like, I feel like maybe he was trying to stick it to Manson somehow, because there's this video of Never Learn Not to Love, and there is Dennis Wilson out front making love to the camera. And, you know, I mean, Dennis Wilson's rarely out front. It's the Beach Boys, he's the drummer, you know? And so it's just so strange to me knowing the story behind it and then seeing that performance. Perhaps it's because Dennis has already paid Manson $100,000. Or maybe Dennis doesn't want to drag his brothers into the mix. But whatever their reason, the Beach Boys make a calamitous decision. Lyrics were a little different. The title was different, but you know, for all intents and purposes, it was a Charles Manson song. Uh, they didn't give him writing credits on that song. And, you know, somebody as megamaniacal as Manson was, you can imagine how angry, to put it lightly, he might be. To calm Charlie down, Wilson sets up a meeting with Hollywood insider Terry Melcher. 
the son of beloved actress Doris Day and a famous record producer himself. But the meeting doesn't go as planned. Terry Melcher was kind of freaked out by Manson, tried to let him down gently. He ran up against reality in that Charles Manson was Charles Manson. Only had to really take one meeting with this guy to know that this guy is not somebody we should be working with. Coming up on Music's Greatest Mysteries, we'll relive the gruesome murders at Cielo Drive while asking the terrible but inevitable question, does Manson's perceived disrespect play a hand in the killing spree? Dennis, he'll always be darkened by the spirit that he was one of the people that welcomed Manson in. And later, the mystery behind Post Malone's curse. He went and seen the world's most haunted object, and that's when his whole life changed. By the summer of 1969, Charles Manson is furious. He's felt slighted twice by the music industry. First, by the Beach Boys, who record one of his songs without crediting him. The second time is by record producer Terry Melcher, who declines to record his music. Less than a year later, Charlie extracts his horrifying vengeance. Its infamous theme is called Helter Skelter, and its first stop is at 10,050 Cielo Drive, the former home of Terry Melcher. My feeling is that Manson was going there to go after Terry Melcher. There's evidence that he had been casing the joint, had actually you know, gone to the house at least once that we know through police records. Manson went to the house where Sharon Tate was, thinking that's where Terry Melcher lived. That's why he sent his people into that house. He was after Terry Melcher. In the aftermath of the Manson murders, Melcher seeks psychiatric care while Wilson retreats into a shell, broken off even from his brothers. The band itself is never quite the same, star-crossed by that fateful day Dennis stops his car and comes face to face with evil. I think Charles Manson left a mark on the Beach Boys, uh, primarily on Dennis. It was Dennis that really welcomed him in without any understanding, as did anyone, of, of, of what he was planning or what might happen. It was a mistake, perhaps, on Dennis's part, but a mistake made out of just that he had a loving heart. He felt somewhat responsible, but Charles Manson was a psychotic individual. Manson would have found someone else to glom onto, but that doesn't diminish, you know, the guilt that, say, Dennis Wilson felt for, you know, playing even the minutest role in what happened. And then Dennis died young, drowned. His death was tragic. And, and I think he'll always be darkened by uh, the spirit that he was one of the people that welcomed Manson in. Dennis Wilson dies in 1983, never speaking publicly about his relationship with one of the most notorious serial killers in history. Meet Post Malone. He's decadent, odd, controversial, the definition of a rock star. But he's also got a curious hobby, an affinity for the supernatural, 
something he shares with bandmates while on the road. On tour and doing shows. Like, if we know this place is haunted, like, we're gonna do a whole little ghost adventure thing. But does his curiosity with ghosts lead to a self-inflicted curse? But then he went and seen the world's most haunted object, and that's when his whole life changed. In 2018, Post Malone is on top of the world, basking in the success of a number one record. While prepping his first arena tour, he agrees to appear on a paranormal television show in Las Vegas. So there's this guy, Zach Bagans, and he has this show, Ghost Adventures. And he has celebrities on, and he takes them through a supernatural experience. Zach has a museum in Vegas. A lot of things that are paranormal, uh, haunted, you know, little creepy dolls. And he's got this thing, it's a haunted box called a Dybbuk box. The Dybbuk is a demonic creature that's been in Jewish folklore since the 1600s. Demons attach themselves to objects, and then that creature is intently watching the person, waiting for them to give permission to be possessed. And the way that permission happens is through sin. So when he sees the person committing sin, he has authority to try to attack that person. Does Post Malone's lifestyle make him a prime candidate for the Dybbuk? So Post Malone is led into a secret room where they reveal the Dybbuk box. You know, Zach's, you know, playing it up. He gets in there and he's gonna open the, the box. And I swear, if you're watching the video, you'll see an orb in that video. You see something in that room. There's Post, kind of, you can tell he's like, kind of wanting to bolt. He's got a beer in his hand. And then Zach puts his hand on it. Something was going on. And Post could tell he's having none of this. So he reaches over, grabs his butt, like, hey, let's go. And when he did, the Dybbuk was already in Zach and went whoop and like slid through straight to Post. And that's whenever all the bad stuff happened. Next, on Music's Greatest Mysteries, did a paranormal encounter almost kill Post Malone? So as soon as the jet lifted off the ground, we hear boom! And later, how Reba McIntyre's tragedy nearly altered the entire history of country music. That was the darkest, most difficult day of her life. In June 2018, pop superstar Post Malone appears on a paranormal television show. Does this experience trigger a series of ominous events? The first is a bizarre occurrence on his tour bus. He comes out the room like, yo, look at these bite marks. He's he got real bite marks on him. So we're like, what the f and all, so then he starts getting into the story like, damn, maybe this could be from the box. That's probably a ghost bite. Now seemingly cursed, Malone's hauntings start to envelop everything around him, most publicly in August of that same year. Post Malone hopped on a private jet. We on the way to England. 
<laughs> and two of the tires on the plane blew out. So as soon as the jet lifted off the ground, we hear boom. Like, yo, what the f is that? And then it's white smoke, like, covering everything. We have to make emergency landing, but we got to fly around for about five to six hours and drain the field. We had no wheels, and if there's a spark, sparks can hit that jet fuel. The whole plane gonna be in fire. Despite no landing gear, the plane lands safely. The event makes national news while giving rise to the curse. A couple days later, Post Malone is riding around in his Rolls Royce, and he gets T-boned, and the curse strikes again. And shortly after the car crash, one of Post Malone's houses was broken into. Post wasn't there, but when they broke in, the robbers screamed out, where's Post Malone? They were looking for him. Could it be from the curse? I don't know. In the span of three months, a series of unexplainable events plague one of pop music's biggest stars. Does this make the demon Dybbuk legitimate? I believe that this thing was genuinely haunted. I've seen a lot of stuff from Zach Bagans that's authentic. I can tell it's authentic. So it is possible that demons are around Post all the time and watching what he does. Maybe they just took that opportunity to attack him. Post says he's done nothing to rid himself of the curse. And for the moment, he seems to be doing just fine. But time will tell if Post Malone is still cursed. On March 16th, 1991, tragedy shocks the country music world. Eight members of Reba McIntyre's band died today when the country star's private plane crashed near California's border with Mexico. Reba McIntyre, suffering from bronchitis, was not on board. But the heartbreaking irony of that night lies in just how close another country music icon comes to being in that plane crash. Reba McIntyre barely escapes that flight in 1991. But does a twist of fate save the life of a second country music icon that night? Not long before the tragedy, a little-known singer from Mississippi almost gets a gig in Reba's backing band and a ticket aboard the doomed flight. Her name? Faith Hill. In 1991, Reba McIntyre's backing band is tragically killed in a plane crash. But an unknown apprentice named Faith Hill also comes dangerously close to meeting that same fate. She came to Nashville from Star, Mississippi. She was going to be a singer. She knew that. She knew that was her destiny or fate. She was doing anything she possibly could. And, uh, and believe it or not, she was selling shirts for Reba when she first got here. Faith sees her chance for a big break when she gets word that Reba's holding auditions for a new background singer and her vocal talent gets her a spot as a finalist for the gig. But when the ask went out, it did not go to Faith. Instead, it went to Paula K. Evans, who was officially made one of the members of Reba's band. Of the 10 total lives lost in the plane crash, 
One is Paula K. Evans. I think that when the news of the crash broke, you know, it had to go through Faith's mind. In fact, I know that it did, uh, that had she gotten that job, you know, that Paula K. Evans did, that she would have been on that plane. Now, a lot of people will say that it's, you know, fate that that happened, that we ultimately got Faith to, you know, become the country's superstar that she is. Due to an unforeseen sickness and failed audition, one superstar continues on while another has the chance to become one. If Faith Hill gets that job and dies in this plane crash, how much is country music's future changed? Because not only that Faith Hill became a superstar, but that she married Tim McGraw, which made both of them bigger superstars. I think country music is completely different if she gets that job. Faith Hill and Reba McIntyre will always be connected to that tragic day in 1991 much like Dennis Wilson with his link to Charles Manson and Post Malone to the supernatural. They're all part of music's greatest mysteries. Thank you for joining us for Music's Greatest Mysteries, where we investigate the legendary mysteries surrounding the biggest names in music. Now remember, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go ahead and leave us a review and don't keep the show a secret. Tell a friend.